0: Turn with me, would you? In the about the center of your Bible is the hymn book of of uh, the people of God. Actually, it's it, I've heard people put it this way before, and it struck me, the the very hymn book that Jesus used is the book of Psalms. Next to that is is a book called Proverbs, which consisted of of a lot of the wisdom of of God through His people, and in The second chapter of Proverbs um, are some words that I think are powerful for us. uh, Words that invite us to a deeper understanding of who God is. You can find them if you have a pew Bible. You can find them um, on page 528 of that maroon pew Bible. Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Hear the word of God, would you? My son... If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call aloud for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek for it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice. You will understand equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The very Word of God. Oh, yeah. Would you turn with me again to our very familiar now, and, and, um, and possibly you've been memorizing it with us, the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. You can find this on page 835 of the Maroon Pew Bibles. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 and we're going to go right back to the end of it beginning in verse 16 is what we've been studying for the last five weeks together. Matthew 28:16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Do you remember that when he spoke to Mary he said tell them I will meet them in Galilee and a whole bunch of stuff happened in between but But now we see that his his words were true. He had a a divine appointment for them. And it was in Galilee, the place they'd spent so much of the last three years of their lives. And when they saw him in verse 17, they worshipped him. Remember this? But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Join me, would you? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God. Mm. Let's try it again. The word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you. How many times have you wanted so much to hear a word from God, right? And 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 it's like that perennial proverb about the person being rescued from the flood and 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 you cried out for rescue and the boat went by and said you need it right no no I'm waiting for God to rescue me, right? And the helicopter came by and no I'm waiting, right? How many times have we cried out to God for him to speak, right? And, and, and then, and then we hear the very word of God and, and then we say, God, when are you going to speak? Right? So we're going to trust and believe that God is speaking. Amen? That He's speaking all the time. And if we will have ears to hear, we'll have eyes to see that God will answer us and will respond to us. So again, we're, we're jumping in now toward the end of a six week long study on uh, on the great commission, the co-mission, Jesus imparting to us understanding of the very mission of God, but then inviting us to join Him in it. And, and we'll conclude next week by seeing the very real way that we can partner with Him in this mission. But well, we started this segment of it by, by saying, what does it look like? What does it mean to respond to Jesus? And we learned t- together that that in a sense, he's saying, go make disciples who will make disciples, right? In a long process, we discovered that the way, the metric for knowing whether or not we're fulfilling the Great Commission is to see if the people we pour our lives into pour their lives into other people, right? To see if the disciples, the people that we disciple, disciple other people as well. And then as we began to go deeper in that, we discovered that, that, that there was one command. And it's honestly not even just make disciples. Excuse me. It's not even just make disciples. It's, it's one word. Disciple. It's a verb. There's no noun there. Disciple. In other words, it's so easy to say. Well, I'm a disciple of people who are teachable, right? And no, he didn't say that. He just said disciple, right? And then we saw one command and three participles, three ways, three ing doing kind of words that help us understand how we are and two weeks ago we we looked at that in everything you do in everywhere you go in every relationship that god grants you make disciples who will make disciples right it's it's this this um middle voice of of the command that says you don't have to go somewhere you're already going places and and in those places in your home and in your workplace and and, and in your neighborhood, whatever you are already doing, leverage that for the kingdom of God. If you're playing soccer with your kids in the afternoon, leverage that for the kingdom of God. If you're visiting a friend in the nursing home and there's someone listening to you across the hall, leverage that for the kingdom of God. And whatever you're doing, make disciples who will make disciples. Then last week, I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know if you're mad at me or where we are, but last week we kind of went... I better not use that phrase. We got very serious about, about how, um, how do we do this. And we saw, for some of you, it was a brand new thing. That, that Jesus is saying the way that you make disciples who make disciples is by immersing them in the, in the character and community of God, right? In the, immerse them in the nature and character of the living God. But then we saw also, and it was such a beautiful illustration with Sarah and Chris, as, as they represented the Trinity and that love relationship that was in the Trinity and then how God opened that Trinity to us and invites us. Immerse ourselves in the very community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We saw that in its imperfect reflection. That that's what the church is. This this imperfect reflection of the very community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you laughing at me? You're laughing at me. I don't I don't know what's the matter with my hands today, but they're moving. So. I can't do it. I can't. I can't talk. Oh, oh don't say that. Okay. Um, wow. Immerse them. Immerse them in the very gift of God. Well, he didn't stop there. And, and the great danger for us today as we continue to say, what does this look like to make disciples, to make disciples? Um, is that the danger is that the, the very familiar words that we're going to use, then you'll flip into your experiences of those words. And 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 the dangers that you'll just tune out at that point. But I'm going to trust. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to open our hearts to uh, His revelation of these very familiar words. Do it, would you, God? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I understand that in the um, when Lincoln in during the civil war was was trying to um, find a way to overcome this uh, calamity I hope we don't break into north and south here in the midst of the sanctuary um, he was faced with maybe the greatest challenge that our nation has ever had uh, and and war was imminent, and he was trying to find someone who would my understanding is they actually asked Robert E. Lee to do that, to to be the major, the lead general over the northern armies, but he could not conceive of fighting against his beloved Virginia, right? And so, so he was unavailable. In fact, became the lead general on the opposite side uh, from Lincoln. And so, um, and so Lincoln thought long and hard about who it would be that would that would um, be entrusted with this task of leading the armies of of the north and. And he chose an absolutely stellar candidate. Anybody know who it was? Uh, I, I had v- vaguely remembered his name, George McClellan, right? You think McClellan? I haven't heard about McClellan. Who's McClellan, right? Um, he was the absolutely best candidate for the job. This guy was amazing, Just, both in his personality and in the, the way he communicated to his, his officers. He trained up the, um, the greatest army, probably, that, that certainly um, North America had ever seen at that point, um, possibly the world at that point. He trained them and prepared them and, and, and equipped them. I mean such a model really of discipleship. There was one problem. They wouldn't fight. <laughs> he wouldn't fight. He wouldn't Lincoln would say, Let's get get going, you know, let's engage. And 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 McClellan said, not quite ready yet, you know. And uh, um and so time was going by and McClellan would never engage, and and never did engage in a significant way. And so and so Lincoln had to, had to replace him with a lesser general, someone you might have heard of, a guy named Grant. I think he became president after that, right? But he was not half the general that McClellan was. I say that, but a general who never leads his people, never does what a general is supposed to do, maybe isn't really a general at all. Um, you might be able to see where I'm going with this. Jesus has entrusted to us this amazing task, not a fighting. Praise God that we're not called to what McClelland or Grant was called to. He, he's given us this amazing strategic Global task of of making disciples who will make disciples, and the problem for us as the church is that we're like McClellan that 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 was not quite ready yet, right? Uh, I need a little more training. I I I I want to make sure that we're fully equipped. My uniform is not quite right, you know. We find all these excuses to not engage, to not do what our president, our lord has asked us to do so today for the third time we come back and say how can we do this how can we make disciples who make disciples yes we know it's in everything we do yes we understand that now we understand that we're to immerse them in the nature and character of god and the community of god but then he says these very simple words that could have come out of an army manual on how to train troops he's just teaching them to obey everything i've commanded right that's pretty basic. For um, a military unit right, do what the officer says right do and they train them they actually break them down and rebuild them up right so that when the officer speaks, even if what the officer says doesn 't make sense to them at the time that that the, the lesser um, soldiers will will do what the officer says teaching them Jesus says the word teaching conveys a couple of different ideas, but it, it means imparting ideas, right? Um, new concepts. This is how you should then live. This is what you should do. It, it conveys imparting ideas, but especially it conveys living those things, right? Putting those things into practice. So the problem for McClellan was that, that he understood all these things, but he would never actually put them Into practice, and because he didn't model it, because McClellan wouldn't do it, then nobody else would do it, and Lincoln had to actually take him out in order for the armies of Virginia to engage, excuse me, armies of the North to engage. So, so it it involves imparting ideas and living them out. In other words, consistent modeling of what this looks like. Let's break it down for a second. What is it that we are to teach? Do you still have your Bibles with you or your phones? Flip over to that now familiar, and we will visit this in depth in August, but that now familiar passage from Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is, these are the words that are on the doorposts of every Hebrew family. Every Jewish family has a little mezuzah, a little brass usually, um, uh, holder that contains a little piece of paper and written on that little piece of paper are these words from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. "Hear, O Israel. Right. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We're going to spend the rest of our lives unpacking that until we see Jesus face to face but but especially later this uh, this summer we'll look at that in in depth but 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 notice there that there's not the word obey right there's just this word here now now if you read the rest of that then you have this overwhelming sense that 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 idea is there why do we not see it in English well that's exactly why we don't see it because for us when we think here we think just um, let the, the sound waves bounce off your ears, right? Let the sound waves bounce off your ears. But a Hebrew never understood it that way. Never understood. For a Hebrew, to hear something was to obey it. To hear it was to obey it. If you didn't do it, then you didn't hear it, right? And how many of you moms, thinking of Mother's Day, have said to your children, Did you not hear me? Well, you know that they heard you, right? What you meant was, you didn't obey. We understand this concept. For a Hebrew, to hear something was to put it into practice. And I think Jesus, at least, gosh, I'm thinking like ten times in Scripture, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? Well, it's the same kind of thing like mom used to say, but of course I have ears to hear, right? He says, no, you didn't hear. You didn't hear. Or this is really important. We'll see that in, in our upcoming series as well. This is really important. Now, there's, there's a lot of statistics going around for a while, and I've used these statistics before, and I, I was preparing to use them again and, and discovered that, like, 80% of statistics, 70% of the time, they're completely made up. <laughs> right? Um, um, they, they're trying, the person is trying to reflect, uh, um, a felt truth. And I think there's truth in these words I'm about to say, but the statistics have nothing to do with anything. In the forties, the guy just made them up and everybody has reproduced it ever since, but it went something like this. People remember, they remember 10% of what they read 20%. Are you seeing these magic numbers? Exactly 20% of what they hear exactly 30% of what they see. 50% 50% of what they see and hear. 70% small group attendees of what they discuss together. 80% of what they personally experience. 90% of what they teach other people. Isn't that, So you, you get the gist of the idea, and you probably agree, and I agree with that too. What's made up is the statistics part. Um, but the more you engage, the more you put into practice what you learn, the more effective it is for yourself and certainly for other things. Now, now since then, um, the science of, of learning retention has, has grown and, and apart from the statistics of it, we do know that the time between a person learning something and a, a piece of information and actually using it, that time is important. And I can testify to this. I studied engineering, geology, physics, and calculus, um, uh, physical chemistry. I could not, I could not find my way. Uh, I don't. I have to think about what NACL is, right? And so, um, I can't remember that stuff. Why? I never, beyond my graduation, put it into practice. I never. Put it into practice. God turned my heart. He sent me a different direction. I'm grateful for that. I'm not lamenting that at all. I'm just saying I never put it into practice, right? So the time between when you learn something, when you put it into practice is important. That's why I've been beating you about the head and shoulders every Sunday the last five weeks about saying, what are you going to do as a result of what you learned? And and who are you going to tell, Right. Uh, when are you going to do it and when are you going to tell somebody? Because as you do that, you actually discover whether or not you really believe it and whether you've really learned it, right? The time between personal learning and using information is really important. But I love this about Jesus and, and, and so much of, of, of current science is just about discovering what Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, right? Um, the more personalized we make the instruction, the better, Right? And so, rather than speaking impersonally to twenty thousand people, Jesus would draw twelve of them together and, and speak very personally to them. We we only see a small portion of what he actually said to them, but but um, he intimately knew them, and in the context of those personal relationships, imparted them the news of the kingdom. Are you listening, disciples who are going to make disciples? Right? Do you see that? Um, he personally invested in them. And then, as we can see from the statistics of those other things, the more medium you use, uh, and Jesus used drama all the time, He used stories and he used uh, enacted drama, He used powerful miracles, things that absolutely blew people's socks off. Jesus used multiple ways of communicating truth so that people could um, they could accept it and receive it. And then I just want to say here, uh, all these things are true. It's not a question of either or. Is this what it means to make us? All these things are true. It's, it's a question of both and. And God, by His Holy Spirit, will lead you how you can communicate gospel truths to, um, to other people. In a couple of weeks, I'll tell you because one of those is happening for me today as, as we speak. One of them is happening. God's speaking to me about something and. And it was a direct answer to something that I've been crying out for the last couple of weeks. And, um, and boom, um, that came. And I'm scared to talk about it because if it doesn't happen, I'm going to feel silly. But, um, but it's happening right before my eyes, right from my ear. You can trust God. Amen. If you open your heart and your eyes and your ears, you can trust God and he will lead you. How, how do we summarize this? If to hear is to put it into practice, how can we best help people to to um, engage and, and discover God's purpose for their life? Well, the key, I think, here is is it's not only proclaiming to them, but letting them discover for themselves. So our small groups have been facilitating uh, facilitating this idea of of letting you hear something, letting you discover what it is that God is saying, and then inviting you to put what you discover into practice. And transformation happens when you discover something for yourself and then put that discovery into practice. Well, what is it that we're hoping that you'll discover? It's going to sound kind of grandiose and overwhelming, and I hope I can back it up. And I'm going to suggest to you that what you can discover is the very wisdom of God. The very wisdom of God. So for my wife and I, as, as our hearts break when, when a plan, our plan doesn't get worked out the way that we want it, right? That we can trust that God has a greater wisdom for us. And, and, and we can actually discover it not just that it's out there and one day we'll see Jesus face to face and we'll know what it was no no he's saying did you hear that in the proverbs he's saying you can discover that right now right you can have the very wisdom of God right now what is the wisdom of God how to live in such a way that both we and our neighbors flourish so that we and all the people around us flourish now this raises a problem, and, and uh, some of you addressed this this morning in Sunday school classes. This raises a problem, and, and 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 it's going to make me walk out on that plank yet one more time, and and say I'm going to suggest something to you that that isn't found in the commentaries that you'll read um, on these passages. I'm going to suggest something to you that is intuitive to me, and I, and I believe that God is revealing to me, but but I can't find somebody else who's who's agreeing with me. So just. Know that. I'm hanging myself out on a limb here, okay? And here's the limb. I think that everything that we think we know about how people learn is backwards. Do you remember that from your small group this morning? Everything we learn in our contemporary culture, I think, is upside down. Well, or at least Jesus took that and turned it upside down. See, our whole learning educational system is based on this, that, that we'll get as many facts to you as possible, right? Remember all those dates that you had to memorize in those classes? Remember, we'll, we'll get facts, or well, what we think are facts to you. Discover later that most of them are not. Um, we, we will impart to you what we think are facts and that if you, if you mull them over in your mind long enough, then you'll get understanding. And, and then... Then, as you apply that understanding to your life, you will become wise. You'll become wise, right? And the thing that rocked my world, I've shared this with you before, forgive me for going back, but, but I want you to understand this. The thing that rocked my world was James 1.5. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and God will freely give it to him. You mean? I'm about to... Expose myself. You mean I those seven years in that three year seminary course? I didn't have to do that, God, I could have just asked you. I'm not I'm not in the game, we got a lot of educators and they slash my tires if I'm not careful. I'm not saying that education is not important. I'm talking about wisdom. I'm saying that our system has believed that that facts will lead to understanding which will lead to wisdom. I think that the Bible is saying the opposite. I think that the Bible is saying the learning model of Jesus is saying this. We, wisdom is, is given freely to all those who ask. And, and, and then the second step is the same. We have to then diligently pursue understanding. God is going to give you wisdom that you do not understand. In fact, by our cultural standards, it will not make sense. It will look foolish. It will look foolish to the world. God is going to give you wisdom. Wisdom. And invites you, remember that Proverbs, to dig and to search. There's like 15 verbs in Proverbs chapter 2 about how hard it is to grasp the wisdom that God has given us, to understand it. And then as, as we saw in Proverbs, the last step is now not the knowledge of facts, but the very intimate knowledge of God. The, the last thing is to know God. And remember what well, the question, uh, the ultimate question that Jesus asks us is not even, do you know me? But do I know you? And there's some harsh words in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? People that had all kinds of facts in their mind, people that thought they had the wisdom of God because they had, in their own minds, put together these facts. And, and we have whole systems that are being taught in, in our culture today that, that are upside down in the kingdom of God. Uh, well, fortunately, science is just simply the, the, um, the, the practice of observation and making decisions based on that. And I'm, I'm not knocking that at all. I'm just saying, Jesus is saying, you can start with wisdom and then spend the rest of your life coming to understand it and to know God, to experience. Remember, Adam knew Eve and they had a baby. That wasn't intellectual head knowledge, right? That was intimacy. You are invited to intimacy with God. And the first step, the first step, is to ask for wisdom. So knowledge isn't about intellectual grasp, but rather personal experience. Well, then what does he say to us? What does he invite us to do? To obey it. There's just no way around that word, is there? I would love to find a more culturally acceptable way to do that, and I can't. At some point, I love the phrase putting it into practice, but but not putting selectively into practice what I choose to receive out of that wisdom of God, but to believe when he says this is the way, walk in it, that, that when I obey that God will honor that and, and bless that. I oh, had this scary experience. Um, I think it was two weeks ago now. I, uh, have, I have this um, network of streets that I use to get um, from place to place in the city after almost 25 years now, I've, I've figured out how to get around and I, I hate stoplights. And, and so a traffic jam is like two people at a stoplight, right? And so I have, I have this ornate little network. I can get to the hospital and nothing flat um, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> but mostly because I don't stop at stop, that sounds terrible. I don't go on streets that have stoplights. <clears throat> so I go on these little narrow streets and I was humming down a little narrow street with cars parked on both sides. And, and I see a mother um, riding a bicycle. Such a beautiful picture of motherhood. Um, she had um, a little son, and he you could see he was so excited. He was on one of those little tiny bikes with training wheels, and he'd gotten a little far. I had a mom, right? And I'm coming down, and they're coming between... Uh, Debra has a bad feeling about this... Um, and they're coming down between those cars parked on either side. So there's about one car width in between them. And there's a car coming behind the mother. And the child gets ahead of the car. I'm not sure that the other person can see that child. I know he sees the mother. I'm not sure he can see the child. I, and we're both, what we're doing is what you always do. We're negotiating for who's going to get there first. Who's, I learned to drive in Tijuana, by the way. Um, and, and so we're negotiating with each other, but there's a little child, a And this is not going to be one of those tearjerker stories, so don't, don't be afraid. It's actually an amazing story. It's amazing. I had my window rolled up, and I, I could see the mother's face. I could read her lips. And she said something, which is probably the child's name, and then said, Stop. Stop. And the child stopped. If the child had not stopped, I don't know what would have happened because he would have gone around the next car and the car, you didn't see the car coming behind him. He wasn't paying attention to me, but the child stopped. You're going, is that all you got? Is that your story? I was, I, I, um, well, I could see it on your faces as I was telling you the story. You're going, this is going to end really badly. That's exactly what I was going through. I was looking at the situation saying, this is going to end really badly, right? And, 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 and then the mother said in love to her child and in a very loud and sharp voice, you know, stop. And the child stopped. There's a lot of grandparents in the room. There's a lot of parents in the room. There's a lot of soon to be parents. And, in the room, one day be parents. Oh, you cannot imagine the beauty of first-time obedience, right? That mother didn't say, uh, "Honey, um, would you please would you please stop?" If 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 it's okay, right? In our parenting class, we kind of had fun with that because we we do so many things to try and communicate love. Sometimes you just got to communicate truth, right? If you do not stop. You're going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. Are you following me? Doesn't it make sense that, that God's wisdom is not, is not honey, if you'd like to, right? His wisdom is this is how you will flourish. This is how the people around you will flourish. And, and He speaks it and He makes it known to us. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? What are we going to do are we going to put ourselves... Can you imagine? Oh, I, don't want to, I don't want to imagine that. But I did imagine at the time. And that was how my life would be different, forever changed, if that had played out the way I thought it was going to play out. The life of the person coming the other direction would change. The, the mother, how everything would have changed if the child didn't obey the mom. God is gracious, amen? How many times have I? How many times have you not obeyed? Have you not responded? And there was pain and there was suffering because these are truths that we're dealing with here. And, and when you don't, when you don't respond to the wisdom of God, they're suffering. But, but so many times the grace of God extends out to us. And, and if you're in that place today where, where you have, you have disobeyed what you knew to be true from, from the Lord and, and And others have been hurt, or you have been hurt. Um, uh, Understand this clearly. God is a God of grace. He will not, He cannot, by His nature, remove all the consequences of the choices that we've made. Some of them we'll live with the rest of our lives. That doesn't mean that the relationships can't be restored. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. At any point, we can say, today, God, I hear, not just ears, I hear your voice, and I will respond to you. I will respond to you. Um, I'll just allude to a story in Scripture. It's a less familiar parable of two sons. One who the father asked to do something, Matthew 21, and he said, I'm not going to do this, and then he did. And the other son, who said, I will do what you say, Father, And then didn't. And Jesus asks the question in Matthew 21. He asks the question, which one of you really obeyed? Well, it was the one who said no, but did it. Ultimately, ultimately, the test of whether or not we love God is whether we do what he says. And Jesus said that explicitly. If you love me, you will obey me. Even when you don't understand even when you can't see the car behind you or the car in front of you, even when you can't see the footsteps of God uh, carrying you at the time, the footprints of God, even when you can't see those things, you have to trust, and as the, as the songwriter says, and obey, and obey. So what is it that we are called to obey? All. All, Jesus says, that I commanded you. All that I have given you the Word of God. Do you understand that right here you have the wisdom of God? You have the, the collected wisdom of God. You don't have to say, what should I do, God, right? What should I do? Um, because God has already given you that wisdom here. All that He commanded includes the Word of God that is before you. But it includes the will of God, too, because in this word is God's will for you. And you know how you're reading sometimes and, and a passage just does not make sense. And, and, and you have to decide, what am I going to you know? It might be that it's not supposed to make sense for you yet. But two years from now, when you're in a different life situation and you read that same passage, it will jump off the page to you. It will jump off the page. The word of God and the will of God. But what I love most, I think, is that all that he commands means not just the word, not just the will, but the way of God. The way of God. Because God makes everything beautiful in its time, right? The question that you read over and over again in the Old Testament, is anything too difficult for the the Lord? Is actually a mistranslation. The, 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 word didn't make sense to the translators, so they used what they thought it meant. Um, but the word is actually, is anything too beautiful for God? Is anything too beautiful? He will make all things beautiful in His time. God's ways are hard for us to understand, especially when you're in the midst of something. When you're, when you're being disciplined by the Lord, when, when you had this dream and He's saying, that dream's gonna have to die in order for my dream for you to live. It's hard. It's hard. But God invites you to put your weight down on who He is, on what He has said, on His perfect and beautiful will for you, and on the way that you're going to do it. So we've been practicing uh, different experiences. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to practice one of them. And I'm going to see if there's any juice left in that cup because it's all over the table. There is a little bit left. We will be okay. i might have to reach in that cup for the juice. But um, we've been practicing something called soul training exercises. Does that phrase mean anything to you? Where, where we kind of say, what would this look like if, if I put it into practice? And I just want to um, invite you to apply this mother's principle to um, your life this week. That somewhere as you uh, are talking to God or as you're reading his word, he's going to give you a new insight on how to live. He's going to give you a command. And if you're struggling to find one, here's one right here in our passage today, right? Disciple others who will make disciples as well, right? He's going to give you something. And, and my the soul training exercise I'd like to invite you to do is to experience or to practice first-time obedience when he says that don't decide well god when i come to fully understand why you said that i will do that i'm going to ask you like that precious child on the little bicycle to trust him and to obey and seek understanding after obedience okay god's giving you wisdom obey and and if again if your eyes and ears are open then you'll find it it will happen uh, like it happened for me uh this morning here in this sanctuary um it will happen for you but i invite you to put it into practice right and and um if you're like me you like to head your best, i'm not going to tell anybody about it because uh, then they're going to come back to me next week and and i'm going to feel foolish if nothing has happened this is not about you it's about god and obeying his word I invite you to say, "Here's what I will do. Here's the the part of God's wisdom I will put into practice, and I will do it as, as soon as He reveals that to me." Some of you, He's already revealed it to you. You already feel convicted, and 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 then I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to tell somebody and invite them to ask me in the weeks and months ahead, what happened with that situation. I, I feel um, I have to. I have to. Um, be careful. I'm a dreamer, and I can dream futures. And as soon as God gave me this little tidbit, I dreamed out all the ramifications of it. Um, and a lot of those are my dreams. My, God's call in my life will look differently than my dreams. Amen? Um, um, and so it's going to be a process of both grabbing on to his command but also letting go of my dreams in the midst of that. And so I just invite you to trust God with some small way. Make note of it. Tell somebody about it. And then and then let's see what God does as a result of your obedience. You can begin actually here. Um, because on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take. Eat. There's commands there, right? Take, eat. This is my body given for you. In other words, I want to invite you into a parable. I I want to invite you into a holy moment where you actually experience the fruit of your obedience. The Apostle Paul says amazing things happen when you do that, right? God says to us, eat of my body drink of this juice which represents my blood remember me in this holy moment and let's let's trust and believe that as we do that grace not condemnation grace will flow as we do that god will be honored or our servers please come forward Oh, Jesus, thank you for this bread. Thank you that you took something so simple, so present, so everyday, and you infused it with new meaning for us. Would you take this simple bread, Jesus, and make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Would you take these carbohydrates here and and infuse them with your grace so that all who partake of them in obedience to you today might experience your grace by faith. Jesus, I ask you to take this simple cup and and infuse it with meaning. God, don't let this just be a tasting of grape juice. Let this be an experiencing of the passion and love and sacrifice which you made for us so that we might be in relationship with you. Take this simple juice and make it, would you? The sacrament of the Lord's blood. And God, I pray that that today you would give us that mustard seed of faith to believe that Christ's death on the cross was for our brokenness, for our disobedience. And that as your word said, that, that, that God, today we can stop our disobedience and embrace your love and thereby become a vessel of grace to all those that we encounter. Oh God, may it be true. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're going to receive um, these elements by intinction, which means that the bread has already been caught for you, um, which means that um, you'll come and take a piece of bread and then dip it into the cup and and partake of it uh, as the Lord leads you. We invite you today to respond to Jesus' grace, to experience the wisdom of God, to obey by coming to the table of the Lord. We're going to begin with those of you in the back pew. If you would choose, you can come up either aisle. We invite you to the Lord's table.